just a reminder, here at That's So Chronic, we are dedicated to sharing personal stories. We are not advocating any type of treatment, therapy, procedure or intervention. Everyone is unique, so please seek professional medical advice before making any decisions for yourself or for others. Welcome to That's So Chronic, the podcast where I, Jess Bryan, interview some incredible people from around the world that are thriving and sometimes only just surviving with chronic illnesses, life-changing injuries and potentially disastrous diagnoses. Today I was able to, thanks to the power of the internet, sit down with Monica Foster to talk about her diagnosis of Cushing's disease, or as it is also referred to, hypercortisolism. In this episode, Monica shares her diagnosis journey, the ups and downs that came with countless tests from various different medical professionals, the decision to go through with brain surgery for the tumours on her pituitary gland, an expensive medication, travelling to different places for these treatments and how she's feeling after bilateral adrenalectomy surgery. I really enjoyed getting to chat to Monica, so I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as well. Welcome to That's So Chronic. Monica, thank you so much for being here and welcome to That's So Chronic. Today we are going to be chatting about your diagnosis of Cushing's disease. We're going to chat about that as well as some of the surgeries and the medications that you have proceeded down in attempts to try and manage this condition. So I feel like we have a lot to talk about today. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me on. Now, where do we begin with this? Is diagnosis the beginning or had you been noticing symptoms well before you managed to get a diagnosis? Well before. So symptoms probably started about four years ago, maybe even up to eight years ago. I just didn't realize it at the time. Mm -hmm. So I had a whole list of things that just didn't seem right. And I couldn't get any answers from traditional doctors. So I had reached out to functional medicine doctors and told them all of my issues and everything. And their treatment plan was to lose weight. Okay. So they had me, (laughs) yeah, Um, they had me start an HCG diet, Okay. which is where you give yourself shots and only eat 500 calories a day. So I did that. I don't really know much about calories at all, mm. but I'm imagining that 500 doesn't, is that, is that a lot? No. 500 calories is like what you should eat for maybe one meal. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So like maybe breakfast. Oh my God. <laughs> so I did lose a probably 80 pounds. I mean, why wouldn't you with what, what's going on with the shots and how little I was eating? And then after the 40-day program, I just kind of crashed. And I just noticed that things didn't really get better. So I kind of stepped away from that functional medicine doctor. And then really, it's been over the last two years that I started noticing symptoms because I had gained 150 pounds in 18 months, Okay, even though I eat very clean, um, you know, no gluten, sugar, dairy, that kind of thing. And so that's when I started reaching out to a nutritionist. So when I was with the nutritionist, we would do monthly calls. And May of last year, she was talking about our HPA access. 
So just how your body, everything's controlled by your pituitary. Mm -hmm. And so with that call, I realized, you know, when I was 16, I was diagnosed with a tumor on my pituitary. Okay. But it was just considered prolactinoma at the time, just that I was producing prolactin and that it wouldn't be an issue. So it started me down this whole path of research and I came across Cushing's. So I had never heard of Cushing's disease before until I started looking it up. And I matched all of the symptoms. Wow. Yeah. It was, when I first saw it, I actually thought, wow, this sounds a lot like my grandmother because there's pictures of people that have Cushing's. I was like, it looks a lot like my grandma. Um, And then I just realized it was me as well. And so I was just, I ended up on a Facebook group that has been practically life-saving at this point. Yeah. And found a great doctor through there that specializes in Cushing's. Before that, though, I did have to meet with somebody local, a local endocrinologist, who told me I didn't look like I had anything wrong with me. Interesting. Yeah, she didn't even want to test me, but (gasps) just to appease me and get me out of there, she gave me one test. It was a saliva test and then a blood test. She's like, if these come back normal, then I don't ever need to see you back here unless you start getting worse. So I did that, and luckily I already had this new endocrinologist booked. Yeah. <laughs> and the test did come back normal. But the next week I met with this specialist who's actually in Los Angeles and I'm in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. So through the powers of the pandemic, we have telehealth with him now. And I just explained everything to him and he ordered 16 tests as soon as I told him what was going on. Okay. And so I've just, I did some testing and finally got my diagnosis uh, probably November of last year and started on the journey of treatment. When they do tests f- to try and find out whether this is the condition that you are going to be diagnosed with, what kind of tests are they doing? Yeah, the main ones that they really trust are saliva tests. So I had to okay. do a midnight saliva test for cortisol and then 24-hour urine test. So you get a jug fill it with urine over 24 hours, and then they test that for cortisol as well. And so there's this, we all naturally have a curve of our cortisol. And so if that's higher, then it's very likely. And so all of mine came back extremely high. Wow. Okay. So they do all these tests and they can go, okay, yep, this is what it is. It's Cushing's disease. Had you ever I know you had been Googling it or you sort of found out from this Facebook group a little bit more about it to present it to them, but had you ever really heard of this before? Did you know anybody else that had Cushing's? Never, never. And it just wasn't even a term I had found before doing Google searches. They say that it is a rare disease, but after being a part of this Facebook group, it's just rarely tested for. I see. Um, Because there are women that are in this group that have been testing for, you know, eight to 12 years and they've not gotten their diagnosis. Okay. If someone is listening to this episode and they have absolutely no, no idea what we're talking about, how would you describe what Cushing's disease is? So it is hypercortalism and it is when your cortisol is super high and to narrow it down even more, it's when your body is in a constant state of fight or flight. Okay. And that can be really like quite full on, I can imagine, being in fight or flight mode all the time. 
Yeah. I mean, just constantly. And so it causes a lot of rage as as well as all of the other symptoms that come along with Cushing's. What were your symptoms during that time when you were seeking the diagnosis? Can you remember what life looked like for you then? Yeah. So one of the biggest things that I noticed or easiest way to explain it is my body felt like lead. So not just a fatigue, but just lead and I could barely move. I also had a lot of brain fog. Obviously the weight gain was a huge one. Uh, There's also purple striae. So like uh, purple stretch marks on my abdomen area. I think those were really the main ones. So what is the treatment plan that you decide to embark on to begin with? Yeah, so the only true treatment is to have surgery, okay. and it depends on what kind of Cushing's you have or where the source is. So you can have Cushing's from tumors in your pituitary gland, or you can have tumors on your adrenal gland. So those are the glands above your kidneys that produce the cortisol. Or you can even have some, which is actually rare, maybe in your lung, liver, and anywhere else in the endocrine system. So when I first started out, it was determined that it was pituitary because I had the MRI, I had seen the tumor, and all of my lab work pointed to a pituitary source. So I, before I started getting scheduled for surgery, my endocrinologist likes to do a medicine test. So you would go on the medicine and if you feel better, then it's likely that the surgery would help you. Okay. So I got started on that and it's actually off label. It is ketoconazole. So it's actually an antifungal medication, but they have found that it stops the production of cortisol. So I did that and I felt so much better, but then lab test came back and unfortunately my liver did not like the drug. It's one of the biggest side effects of that one. Okay. So I had to come off of it within like four weeks because my liver enzymes just got too high. And so it wasn't safe to take it any longer. And with this medication, is that, I mean, I'm not super familiar with how medication works where you are based in the States, but did you have to pay for this? Um, That one I had to pay for through my insurance. So I didn't actually have to pay anything out of pocket for that one. Okay, cool. Yeah. And so once we figured out that I was responding to the medicine, I was able to schedule with the surgeon, a neurosurgeon, which was in Houston. So I like to joke that I have done a nationwide tour for my (laughs) medical care because later on, we'll talk about how I went to another part of the U.S. to have another surgery. So I got that all scheduled for January. And the pituitary gland, it's at the base of the brain, isn't it? So this is quite an intense surgery that we're talking here. Yeah. So it sits right behind your nasal cavity. And so uh, it was, it was brain surgery. So there's this, this thin piece of skin that separates your brain from the pituitary. So it was a very delicate surgery that could have gone pretty wrong if you didn't have an expert in it. Wow. How were you feeling when you were like, okay, this is what I've got to do. I was just ready for relief. At that point, mm-hmm. I was excited to have validation that there was something there. Yeah. And so I was just ready to 
to get it over with and start thriving after surgery. Yeah. What is the process of the surgery? Like how long does it take? What is the recovery like? Yeah. So the surgery, I think was like three to four hours okay. and they actually go through the nose. <gasps> so I didn't have to have like my skull cut open or anything like that. So they just went through the nose. And once he was in there, he actually found another tumor on the other side of my pituitary okay. that was hidden from the MRI. Mm -hmm. So you can go in and remove it and you stay in the hospital about four days. And then recovery is supposed to take at least six weeks to start feeling good. I felt better within four days. So I knew wow. immediately, but I knew immediately that the surgery failed because of that, unfortunately. Okay. Like okay. you should, you should have a major crash and feel really bad after surgery. And I didn't have that happen. Okay. So because they've found the second tumor there, do they think that that could, that has also been causing some of these symptoms and the Cushing's disease as well? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so what happens then after this recovery process? So I had to, I met with my endocrinologist a week after surgery to do the follow-up labs. And based on that, he immediately told me, yes, it did fail. Okay. And so I had to go through another round of testing. So that's four more saliva tests. That's four more urine tests. And when all of those came back, it was confirmed, definitely all high. And so at that point, he started me on a new medication. Okay. And that one is recently came out for Cushing's disease. And that is the one that is $14,000 a month. A month. Oh my goodness. A month. Yeah. So my insurance company said that they would pay for it. But the way that my insurance worked at the time is I'd have to pay for it out of pocket up front. Right. And, and then... they'd reimburse me. Wow. Yeah. How long were they thinking that you would be on this medication for? Well, that one is approved where you could technically be on it long term, even though it wouldn't purely put you into remission. But luckily, the manufacturer of that medicine has a uh, patient assistance program. So I was able to apply and get it for free. Oh, amazing. So luckily, <laughs> luckily I didn't have to pay out of pocket for that one. And it worked great for six weeks. Okay. And then my liver test came back and my liver enzymes were high. And even in the clinical studies for that medication, that wasn't actually, that should have never happened. Okay. Like it was, I think only four out of the clinical study had that same thing. How were you feeling during this time when you're like, have tried all of these different things and then to have that same, no, this isn't really working to come back again. How were you feeling with all of that? Um, very, sometimes I went to some very dark places. It was just, I felt defeated. I was like, yeah. I should be on the other side of this by now. And it's just not working. Like medication's not going to be an option now. And I really didn't know what next steps would be. And so I started doing some more research and then it, it felt like it, it got even scarier. Yeah as I looked into what other options would come after medication. So how long has this process been since that time where you got a diagnosis from the endocrinologist to now in the story? So luckily, I'm very privileged to be able to pay for this doctor out of pocket. And during this time, so I met with him for the first time in August. Okay. The diagnosis was in November. 
surgery was in February and then March, April is about the time that we figured out that it failed and I started on the Is Teresa. This is still, I mean, you know, obviously could argue even though it was somewhat fast being able to get through all of this, that is still quite a lot of months to be still dealing with this condition and having to sort of navigate all of this. You mentioned that things felt a little bit rough at times and to some dark places. Did you have a support network around you or or had you connected with other people who were in a similar situation, like perhaps on that Facebook group? Yes, luckily I was in the Facebook group. So that was a huge support network because I wasn't alone with the fail surgery. There are some people that go for a second pituitary surgery, even a third, and then they finally hit remission. So I had that. And then definitely just through the uh, work with my therapist was a big part of it as well. And then just having, you know, coworkers and family that understood know kind of what I was going through on the day-to-day yeah what is the next option now that this medication has also not been successful yeah so didn't have a source for pituitary to have a second surgery because that's initially what we thought I'd have to do Mm -hmm. became medication resistant so the next option is to have a bilateral adrenalectomy and so that is removing both of those adrenal glands that produce the cortisol And so I just read a lot about that and people's experiences and just how serious I had to sign a document of diagnosis from my endocrinologist saying I understood that having this surgery, that I could go into a crisis, which could lead to a coma or even death. Okay. So it was like signing my life away is what it felt like at the time. Because when I was Googling the surgery, I thought it was really interesting that a lot of medical journals were coming up as opposed to like websites from the Mayo Clinic or whatever explaining like what the surgery Mm. is. And as I was reading a bit more, a lot of what kept coming up was this is a second line treatment option. And so when I was reading, it did sound as though this is an option that people get to as a last resort. Is that kind of what you had also realized throughout this process? Yeah, it's definitely that because most people want to, you know, if they, if there is like another tumor on the pituitary, like addressing that just because now I'm dependent on medication for the rest of my life. Okay. And if you do that the other way, then you can live just kind of a normal life. So definitely considered last. Yeah choice there. Even my endocrinologist usually doesn't approve people to get the BLA that fast. Usually he wants people to wait two to three years and I only had to wait a few months. Yeah. Wow. The adrenal glands, of course, they're also responsible for cortisol, which is what we're addressing in your situation, but they also do a whole bunch Mm -hmm. of other things, don't they? They kind of regulate a bunch of different hormones and the immune system and, and things like that. I probably should know more with my biology exam coming up, but <laughs> at least I know that they're on t- by the kidneys. Everybody I've talked to has not even known that though. And I'm just so surprised that we go so long in our life and not know where adrenal glands are. Yeah. So, but yeah, I'm also on another medication uh, that does support like sodium, like even my electrolytes in my body to make sure that I stay hydrated that kind of thing. 
And then there's things like DHEA, and I'm not sure what all it does, but I have to supplement those kinds of things too. What is your understanding of what some of the other processes are of the adrenal glands or like what was explained to you of what the future was going to look like when they do this surgery obviously having to be on medications but were there any other things that they were like okay you're really going to need to be mindful of xyz uh, the main thing was my salt intake. Okay. So a lot of people are told, like, limit your salt. Don't do that. Well, I'm quite the opposite, and I can pour salt on everything, and I have, like, a really salty drink in the mornings. So that's really been the biggest thing. And then, of course, just being super aware of your body in case you go into crisis so you can medicate up for that. And so keeping your stress level down. Before we carry on with the interview, I wanted to quickly jump in and say hi. If you're new around here, thank you for listening and don't forget to press follow wherever you're listening to this episode. And if you're a long-time listener, thank you for your continuous support. Every listen, rating, review and share really helps That So Chronic get into more ears around the world. So a big thank you to you. All right, back to the interview. You go through and you have the bilateral adrenalectomy. What is that process like? Yeah, so I was really surprised once I, so I traveled to Wisconsin for that surgery. So (laughs) that's part of my nationwide tour there. And the surgery was probably another three to four hours. And I only stayed in the hospital for 24 hours. Oh, wow. And I was very surprised by that. But yeah, so the next day I did have to stay in Wisconsin for seven days so I could attend my post-op appointments, but I still didn't feel like pain or anything, but that w- this time it was a good thing Okay. because now I know I'm in remission. Wow. Yeah. So how has it been? Because you've only just recently had the surgery when we're recording this episode. How have you found a month on? How are you feeling? I'm amazing. I often just sit around and think, oh my gosh, I feel so great. Oh my gosh, (laughs) am I really feeling this good? I'm actually able to cook dinner or I'm able to clean the house. A lot of daily activities that I wasn't able to do before. And I don't know if it'll always be like this because I had to start on a higher amount of steroids when I left the hospital just because my body was used to that much cortisol. Yeah. So I'm having to taper down my medication now. And I think once I get to a certain uh, point, then I may start feeling a little bit worse, but that'll be temporary until my body's fully adjusted to it. Okay. Yeah. Because I was going to ask, is there an adjustment period of obviously Cushing's is having too much cortisol? Is there the possibility now with the pituitary surgery and the adrenal gland surgery, is there the potential that you won't have any cortisol or too little? Yeah. So if I don't take my medication, then I produce zero, which is, is like death. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I do, I have to take medication at six in the morning, eight, two, five, nine, like it's an all day thing, like just taking it throughout the day. But that is what gives me my cortisol. So what I love about it now that I've had the BLA and what kind of helped convince me is when I had Cushing's, I had no control over that cortisol level. So I had no control over that rage and how I was feeling. 
but now I do. So I'll get to my baseline. And so if I start feeling stressed, then I'll have some signs that I'll know to look out for. And I can take a couple more milligrams of the steroid and feel better. And so I, I'm in control now. Some people that might be listening to this might be thinking, oh no, now you have to take you know so many different types of medications at so many different types during the day. That must be so frustrating or whatever. But when you look back and you compare how life looks now compared to a year ago, is it worth it? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And I set an alarm on my phone for those times and I don't even give it a second thought. I just, yeah. I have my full container beside me. So I just put like, put it in my mouth and I'm able to keep on going through the day. And I was probably taking way more supplements, yeah. like way more amount of pills prior to diagnosis, trying to fix the issue. So now I know exactly what to take and what times. And so it's less to worry about than before, I think. Is there a sense of what the future is going to look like? Like, do you have regular check-ins with any sort of specialist or doctors to monitor and see how things are going? Yeah, so I'll do probably a couple more follow-ups with my endocrinologist just to make sure that my levels are still good. And then I ended up having to find a local Lish because she's still three hours away okay. endocrinologist. That will also help me uh, just make sure like my medication and all of that is updated. Um, but long term, I don't think there will be any check-ins because unfortunately, once you have the BLA, that's kind of where their specialty stops. And I'll have to find somebody that specializes in people that have primary adrenal insufficiency or Addison's disease okay. for those that have autoimmune that causes the same thing. Yeah, because essentially going from one side to the complete yes. other side. <laughs> Yes. Because when you were mentioning about your great national tour for your medical treatment, how does that work when you're having to travel to different places for treatment or getting online appointments in LA? How does that work? Because I know in my experience here in New Zealand, if you go and get an appointment in a different region, it is so hard and there are so many roadblocks and they make it extremely difficult. What has been your experience doing that over there in America? So luckily it's been pretty easy. My endocrinologist has a website that I can go and schedule my own appointment on. And so I am paying out of pocket for it. And it's just an online scheduler. I pay my fee through there and then we have the call. So that was super easy. Wow. And then once I had to do transition into the surgery in Houston, I got the referral so I didn't have to go see the surgeon or anything before surgery. And he was considered in network with my insurance company because they cover all of the U.S. Perfect. And then so the same would happen with Wisconsin as well. That is amazing. And like basically unheard of being able to just book your own appointment with a specialist here in New Zealand. That sounds amazing. <laughs> Yeah. It's the small things. Yeah. And then so I end up watching his calendar because he does still book out. I think he's booked out until probably like four or five months yeah. from now. So I would scroll while I was trying to get diagnosis in the middle of the night because, oh, that was the other thing is having insomnia. So it'd be two, three o'clock in the morning and I'd scroll his website and refresh it and I'd be able to camp catch cancellations yeah and I could rebook my appointment for a sooner date it's kind of like trying to buy concert tickets when someone's coming to yeah. a show I think a lot of people 
And I know from experience, a lot of people think, okay, I get diagnosed with something, I can have a surgery and then everything will be better. And after speaking to you and listening to your story, there are, it is a roller coaster. There are so many things that you have to navigate along the way. Do you have any thoughts if someone's listening and they're thinking, you know, they're on that roller coaster and they're like, everyone thought I'd just suddenly be better when I got this surgery and I'm still having to navigate things and I'm still having to yeah, work on my health journey. Do you have any thoughts or I guess advice for someone who's also been through this for someone that might be in that position? So the biggest thing is you have to be your own advocate when it comes to your medical. When you know that something's not right, keep fighting for the answers because you know your body the best (laughs) and you may have to go through a lot of doctors to find the answers. So just don't give up because there is hope out there, whether it's, you know, remission or just relief that it's hard, but there is still light at the end. If you could go back in time and say something to Monica, who has just perhaps gone to one of those health professionals at the beginning and they've said, you just need to eat 500 calories and take these things, who's still seeking a diagnosis. If you could go back and tell her something, what would you say, do you think? To the professional or to myself? To yourself. Or perhaps the professional, but <laughs> maybe is that PG? <laughs> well, I was going to say, for the professional, I continue to leave updated reviews when I have surgery. And now that I'm in remission, so people understand what my story was with that endocrinologist and they can see. Yeah. Don't always listen (laughs) if she pushes you off. Um, But if I would tell myself just to keep researching, probably. Yeah. Just, I think one of the biggest things I've learned recently because of this is weight is not a symptom. Like weight is just a symptom. Yeah. It's not the cause of all of this. Yeah. And so that's probably the biggest thing is, is realizing weight was not the issue at that point. I, I had no idea at that point. Thank you so much for sharing so much of your story with me I and with everybody listening. I'm so excited that you're feeling so much better. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> now I can say that life starts after BLA. I have tons of vacations planned at the next <gasps> month. And those are things that I wasn't able to do plan. I couldn't plan for the next day because I didn't know how I'd feel. So I'm excited to start living now. Yeah. Speaking of being able to go on vacations and stuff, is there any sort of considerations that you need to think of in terms of traveling with the medicine that you take? So there's one that I have a, that's an emergency medication that does have a syringe. So I just have to be sure to tell like TSA agents yeah. when I travel that I have that with me. And then everything else has the prescription written on it. And so it shouldn't be an issue with traveling, but I'll find out in two weeks if... <laughs> If I run into any issues with it. Yeah, exciting. Oh, I'm just so happy that you get to go and do all the things now. Yes, me too. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you to you for listening to this episode of That's So Chronic. I've been thinking a lot about what Monica said about how Cushing's is a condition that is so commonly referred to as rare. But maybe it's just because people are struggling to receive a diagnosis that's what's giving it its rare status. It's definitely food for thought. And thanks again to Monica for sharing your story with me and with everybody listening and for starting these conversations. 
If you enjoyed this episode, you might also enjoy another episode that is also about the pituitary gland. That episode is with Logan Donnelly all about his diagnosis of secondary hypergonadism. You can find it wherever you're listening to this episode. Wow, I think I said episode like five times in that last sentence. But don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or a rating on Spotify. And if you haven't already, make sure you're following so you never miss an episode. Your support means a lot and really helps that So Chronic get into more ears around the world to hopefully spread awareness and, more importantly, hope. See you next week.